0: Hey everyone, this is your friendly neighborhood Shade Slayer again. I hope all of you are staying safe amid the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Again, I don't know how many people are listening to this, but I hope that there are at least a few people because I'm, uh, I'm really excited to do this segment today because it's just something I was just thinking about and I thought I really wanted to put the ideas out there and I'm sure that none of... Some of you will think, oh, this is unoriginal, and that's cool. Um, I enjoy learning from other people, and so uh, here we go. I talk a lot about um, when I write on my blog. I, I talk a lot about um, how much I dis- how I dislike the uh, the free speech absolutists, and how I I always have felt like, well, not everyone gets access to a platform, so it really isn't free, like. Not everyone is is requ- can hear your ideas, and not all ideas are treated equally. It's just the way it is. And so, I was thinking, and I saw a tweet this morning from Elon Musk, um, you know, Bill, tech billionaire, Silicon Valley guy, and he has been on Twitter recently, being making an ass of himself, and what he had said was that today, I think, rep- replying to someone about. I guess some overthrowing people overseas he said we can coup whoever we want get over it and it was such a blatant and disgusting comment and so uh it made me think about a lot of things but more importantly about um why the anti-war movement has been so connected to the left but also just how um this country is just so right wing to the point where it's it's ridiculous Uh, of course i'm speaking about the united states but more importantly um i probably should separate this into two parts first of all um the how deeply the anti-war movement uh complements uh the the left ideology whether it be socialism or communism, because um, there's always been this need to, by the capitalist class to, you know, make the other system look bad. And the problem was that socialism was a system that was inherently more appealing than capitalism. And yes, there are people out there who find capitalism appealing. I'm not going to debate that. Um, they have very different values than i do but i do think that for a lot of people i i feel like it's mostly one of those things where you're indifferent to it i know i was i didn't hate capitalism at first but i didn't like it i was indifferent to it until i knew exactly what led up to it and knew more about the system itself so and also just you know the beginning of my radicalization was understanding the shock doctrine um which is also a great book by Naomi Klein, that really opened my eyes. Um, reading about the um, the coup against Allende and um, what Pinochet did in Chile was something of a wake-up call for me. And it was one of many situations where, uh, in order to prevent socialism from being uh, viable anywhere else, or for any working class right and solidarity to appear, the United States would install a a, basically a fascist dictator and they did that uh, for a very long time during the cold war it was also a foreign policy initiative to limit the red menace Uh, but even afterwards after the fall of the soviet union it has continued to happen for the simple reason that the united states um, and their, and their corporations believe that if you're not cooperating with them to get national resources or give uh, rich people whatever they want, you're essentially um, annoying. And that's why they hate Putin so much, despite the fact that Putin is a capitalist. And yes, he's former KGB, but he is the leader of a autocratic state in Russia russia being um the main antagonist and the former soviet union being essentially the only incredibly powerful uh socialist state to ever be there now those of you who are socialists will say well there's no such thing as a socialist state right because socialism is on the way to communism which is a stateless society with no hierarchies i agree with that but i i think that Whenever we're talking about states these days, there's a num- there's a dichotomy of private and public, and for whatever reason, the public side is always seen as a little bit of socialism. And unfortunately, it's very difficult to get this idea out of people's minds, as annoying as it is. Now, it's really important to recognize that Capitalism has many contradictions, and it doesn't lead to good outcomes, so for most people. In order to even have the system show any stability for any length of time, you need to have the government intervene, which is why capitalism requires a strong state to do it, because otherwise, not only would uh, it be incredibly volatile, but it would just lead to serfs and feudal feudal lords again, and so that's just the way it is. Um, And it's really important to recognize this and to recognize that um, without intervention, whether it be economic or actual warfare, a lot of cases involved funding uh, fascist folks in other countries. Not to mention after World War Two, bringing over Nazi scientists to help develop um, new scientific, you know, breakthroughs. The fact that immediately after the war was over, we were buddy-buddies with ex-Nazis is a testament to how thoroughly the ruling class saw... Socialism as a bigger threat than fascism, and that they fought fascism because they were, well, they were getting in the way. And keep in mind also that the Red Army were necessary in winning World War II. That not only did they repel Hitler's grand army in in Mother Russia, but they marched all the way and seized the capital of Germany, they seized Germany, they then they forced the final surrender. So it's important to recognize these things. It's important to recognize that capitalism wasn't just going to let the system fail on its own. Contrary to popular belief, they didn't want any viable system. And the problem is that they recognize it. And so you're probably wondering what all this has to do with freedom of speech or ideas or the marketplace of ideas. This is the part I'm excited to talk about because I think that it really has some weight. We hear all the time from centrist uh, liberals and the right wing that ideas, um, in order to flourish, uh, you need to have an open exchange of ideas and that by censoring it, it doesn't get rid of bad ideas. That um, you have to be willing to discuss and be open. Now, often this is framed in a way that makes the left look like they're trying to cancel other people for having bad ideas. Now, I've said in the past that not everyone has equal access to platforms and that not all ideas are created equal. I've also said that often this is used as a pretext in order to be be free to expound. Ideas that have already been proven wrong over and over again. But on the other hand, I would like to also put forward the idea that sunlight doesn't necessarily kill an idea, but lack of sunlight doesn't either. And the proof of this is socialism and communism. The antagonism towards these ideologies from most of the world's powerful people has been around for a very long time. The ideas in the United States are treated with little little bit, little other than contempt. Um every huge bad guy in history has hated it with a passion. Um or has been contemptible of the working people of their country. Stalin was bad, and there are other, you know, People like that who have been, in the name of these ideas, done horrible things. I'm not going to take that away from our failures as leftists. But I will say this. That our ideas haven't died, despite the fact that, that it's been treated with nothing but contempt in the halls of power. And that it generally doesn't get as much, well, sunlight as the ideas of the right. Our ideas are often banned or not talked about in any serious way. They're marginalized in whatever way we can. In the United States there isn't even a real left party. There's the Democrats who are a little better than moderate Republicans, and, and the Republicans who are basically a fascist party at this point. The country in, The United States is a country that doesn't tolerate debate outside of a very narrow window from probably center-right to extremist-right. And yet our ideas are still there. They're still out there. They're still popular. With people who, if they are just have it explained to them without any twisting language, they're like, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. And that's the thing. The ideas of the right have had to be spun and twisted to make them palatable and They're often blasted on major news channels all around the world. They're ideas that are supported by the ruling class of every country on planet Earth. They have institutional support and the ability to spread their ideas. And because of this, some of these really terrible ideas can live, even if they're wrong. And I would like to also put towards you that the fact that socialism and communism are ideas or left-leaning ideas have lived through this, despite being consigned to what's supposed to be the dustbin of history. The end of history, as Francis Fukuyama said prematurely, is because these ideas, these ideologies, are stronger than you thought. That they could be consigned to darkness and they would still burn bright now i think the right wing understands that their ideas don't have the inherent popularity of ours that their ideas despite being sent as the default are ideas that if just taken at a glance are repugnant to normal people their ideas that ...are not taking that face value as good. And they know that. And so that's why they have PR and all this like ability to propagandize about these ideas. And it's why they see the need to make it more palatable. And so when I hear freedom of speech people and absolutists... ...or even those on the left trying to protect people like Alex Jones... ...or Ben Shapiro or Barry Weiss or whatever... People who spread ideas that have been repeated ad nauseum for a very long time and are frankly bad ideas and ideas that have had significant pushback and pushback that, in, is in my estimation, justified and a good response. When I see it, I just see people who are kicking themselves in the, back, in the foot or whatever, kicking themselves in the ass, whatever you want to say. It is unnecessary because the United States of America does not tolerate left wing ideas or treat them even with the base notion of seriousness, and ideas that should be treated with contempt much less seriousness are making a comeback for the simple reason that they've always been sort of encouraged. Now, I want to you know push back on what I would see as pushback to these comments because there are other ideas that have sought that have been thought to be dormant that have come back, like fascism, or these are, these racist notions that have always been underneath the surface, and that they've lasted a long time too. Despite the fact that socialism has had a longer lifetime than capitalism in the world and has outlasted it, despite the fact that capitalism still controls the world, it's still true that fascism is making a comeback. And then the pushback would be, well, then, doesn't your idea, doesn't that mean that also these ideas are strong and are able to withstand the darkness as well? I don't think it's the same thing, and I'll push back on, on a way that I think, a way I think is, is a good pushback, which is that the, these ideas, what, the ideas that lead to fascism or right-wing extremist ideas, racism, all this stuff— these are ideas that are are dear to elements of the society that have always been powerful and have always had institutional support. Even if most Americans would openly see racism with a level of disgust, systemic racism has still been here for a very long time, and that has meant that it just it is what it is. The fact that we're still dealing with it on an institutionalized level is proof of that, in my opinion, though some people won't see it that way. And fascism, well, you know, fascism is a fairly young ideology, too. Fascism was essentially the end point of capitalism and of the state. It was the right-wing extremist ideology uh, that came about, and lest you forget, it was only in vogue about 60, 70 years ago, 80 years ago since the world war, you know? 60... (laughs) I can't count today, excuse me. But in any case, I told you before about how Nazi scientists were brought over in order to help fight communism after World War II. Some Nazis got off the hook, right? And we happen to know that there are people in this country who had the same views as Nazis long afterwards. That extremist organizations in this country had power far later than that and were closer in ideology than that the Nazis. Talk about the John Birch Society. Right-wing extremists of every kind. The KKK. These organizations had power after the Nazis fell, and the Nazis fought a war. So, And there are still Nazis out there, like, there are more of them now than there were before, but they were always there, and you can make the argument that the Nazis didn't have any power, and that's, that's right. Nazis didn't have power. That particular brand of fascism, yes, didn't have power. But the ideas themselves were encouraged by people who had power. Now, it's true that the ideas in terms of intellectual discussion and reasonable debate were kept out. That's true. It's very true. But left-wing ideas weren't allowed either. So, I mean... It's true that social democracy was popular for a while, but the pushback came from people who probably had those sympathies. We need to remember that the level of institutional support matters, and that's where I'm going to go with it. And I hope that what I said made sense, and um, I hope you have a good day, and uh, stay safe.